Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, a show where we explore the world of sport, music and business to deconstruct the tools and ethos of world-class performers that create growth and optimise business. I'm Noel Olnert, the CEO of Securo, and today I'll be talking to Gus Warland, the founder of Gotcha for Life. Gus has had a strong media career in TV and radio. But after losing a close friend to suicide, he decided to use his influence to create some good. Gotcha for Life is an Australian non-for-profit foundation, taking action by delivering mental fitness programs that engage, educate and empower local communities. Please enjoy this chat with Gus Warland. Building Resilience Podcast. Gus Warland, welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. No, well, look, it's, um, it's great to have you on the show. Um, I'm excited to hear some of your stories of resilience. Um, but where I'd like to start today would be starting at the start. So could you tell me how you went from, uh, I'm sure, being an A-class pupil at Knox Grammar uh, to, uh, to, to, to getting on Triple M? What did that journey look like? Yeah, so basically I was okay. Like I was a good kid, but I wasn't particularly smart. Um, I had more sort of street smarts, I suppose, than academic stuff. But bumbled my way through school, loved it, great mates and still today great mates. And that was, for me, the most important thing about schooling is this connection of guys that I know now and great bunch of friends. So that was me. Then I went on my gap year um, between school and uni and went to England where my where I met my now wife. But at the time I liked her, but she wasn't so keen on me. So it took me a while of stalking to be eventually wear her down. But I Persistence. I, I came back and, and did a public relations and marketing course. And I was told all my life that I could sell ice to Eskimos, you know, that type of thing. And I remember talking to my granddad once and he said, Lee, you've got the gift of the gab, no doubt about it. He'd been a salesman all his life as well. But he said, you won't be able to sell anything unless you believe in the product. And that was the best advice he ever gave me because um, it just sort of straightened me up to realise that I had to find the right sort of products to sell. And I eventually did that. I sold laptop computers for Toshiba which were Japanese-made products just when people were starting to get a bit mobile in their working and starting to get a bit more flexibility. And they were sort of seven, eight, nine thousand $9,000 a pop, you know, just people like you would have them, the, the big CEOs and stuff. <laughs> and then eventually, 10 years later, when I jumped out of that industry, we were literally giving the hardware away as long as you got a dongle from Vodafone or BT or something because my last couple of years I spent uh, with Toshiba in the UK and my best friend in the whole world that I met at kindergarten went through Knox together is Hugh Jackman, the actor, which most of your listeners I'm sure would know. And he was doing a movie with um, Woody Allen in London and he was walking around on his day off and he bumped into Ricky Ponting. And Ricky Ponting was coming out of Harrods with his missus and Ricky sort of had this starstruck moment. Yeah, there's Hugh Jackman in front of him and Jacko was looking back at Ricky Ponting going, oh, fuck, Ricky Ponting's in front of me. Like they had this <laughs> moment where both of them were starstruck and eventually it came up that, he had some tickets to Saturday at the at Lords, which was the first test of the 2005 series, and he got four tickets and Jacko rang me. I came down from Lincolnshire in England where I lived and we had a great day at the cricket. And at the end of the day, Ricky Ponting's PA rang and said, the boys would love to see you in the sheds. Would you like to come in with your guests? And um, I went, you beauty, let's go. And Jack, I was like, well, do you reckon we should go into the sheds? Like it's there, it's their place. I said, mate, he's invited you, let's go. And I was so excited. And we're both cricket tragic. So three hours later, a couple of beers, great conversations. 
um, came out of there with a Matty Hayden brainy cricket bat and we were like shadow batting all the way um, to the car which was waiting for us and we went back to Jacko's place in London and had a curry and a few beers and thought how good was that imagine if we could give that to the Australian cricket public and a year went without anything um, really coming of that and then Jacko eventually said I'm starting a production company um, I reckon we should do something around the cricket remember that day at Laws and I said of course I remember that day at Laws it's like one of the most exciting days of my life. And we did a show called An Aussie Goes Barmy where I lived with the Barmy Army cricket supporters, the English supporters that came across for the next Ashes in Australia in the summer of 2006, seven, And that's where my media career started. I left Toshiba. I got a six-month sort of, yeah, go off and do it. Your job's here if, you, if it doesn't work out. And uh, that was 2006, November. And uh, I've never properly worked again since. I've been to TV and radio. And how I got onto radio was after doing all these shows, I did an Aussie Goes Barmy, then an Aussie Goes Bolly, which was me supporting Australia and India, and then an Aussie Goes Calypso, which was in the Windies. I was actually in Triple M one morning promoting that show for Foxtel, and the boss of Triple M was in a cab between the airport and the station, and he said, this bloke can tell a story. He was looking for a new breakfast show in Sydney. So my timing was perfect. And I did near, nearly 11 years on Brecky Radio, eight of those with Maddie Johns and MG, which was the grill team, which is the show yep. I'm most proud of. And then um, left um, to get into other things after that sort of show um, dwindled away. Um, I'm now doing drive show, but my main passion now is obviously gotcha for life. It sounds like a really good story of just taking the bull by the horns and taking the right opportunities, you know, just that fearlessness. If you hadn't gone into the sheds, do you know what I mean? If you hadn't then followed the kind of the bouncing ball and then all of a sudden you just end up doing something you completely love. And you must be made of pretty stern stuff. I've had a few tours with the Barmy Army. Um, I remember one very hot day on the hill in Adelaide where I pretty much thought my life was over. Um, if it wasn't for a, a Kevin Peterson uh, uh, ton, I think I probably would have uh, would have gone home really early. That I know exactly what you mean. They are thing is they come in packs. They come swarming because they so they'll come in the first couple of test matches and they're all just going for it. Right, they've got ten days on the pitch plus a bit of travel days, and then a whole new influx will come, fresh as a daisy. But if you've stuck with them first two tests, eventually you're just going to have to fold. But um, had great fun with those blokes and. Um, still got a lot of friends from that particular tour. And I remember when I first did an Aussie Goes Barmy, this TV Week journo said to me, oh, you've only got this job because your best mate's Hugh Jackman. And I went, yep, absolutely, I'm so lucky. And they were like shocked. They thought that I was going to go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. It's absolutely right. Like if Jacko hadn't started a production company, if he didn't have that idea, if he didn't tell Fox how he wanted me in it, then my life would have been very different. But yeah, I, I like what you said earlier. I, I sort of definitely, once I got an opportunity, I sort of banged the door down. And then, you know, I don't think you hang around on Brecky Radio for 11 years if you don't have something. And then all the other stuff that I've done, hopefully I've proved to people that, you know, that I deserved the opportunities that I got. So what would you say the skills and the, the personal traits that made you successful first in technology sales and then that you, and enabled you to very quickly transcend into the, like, right, the, the front of the media queue, right? Because it's not easy. So what was it that, that you innately had? Well, a couple of things. Um, I certainly loved relationships with my customers. So I tended to have less customers, but they would buy more. 
um, rather than some of the salesmen, which would sell two or three machines to a, a thousand. I would, I would sell thousands to only a couple. And I sort of worked that out pretty early on with a bit of vision from my boss at Toshiba, actually my friend that ended up taking his own life that started Gotcha for Life. Um, he told me that and he gave me a lot of good um, advice and it meant that I wasn't so successful initially because I was sort of building those relationships. But eventually once they happened, big orders came and I was very fortunate and that gave me a lot of confidence and I wore my heart on my sleeve so I was always quite authentic. So and I think that stands out as well because people in sales don't tend to be. So that was sort of that. And then secondly, I'm a tragic when it comes to cricket. So I knew a lot about cricket. I loved it. I didn't want to let Jacko down. So I worked really hard. Um, and then with sort of Breakfast Radio being the first show I did was Sydney Breakfast Radio. And when I talk to people about that, they're a bit amazed because that's something you normally build up to. But because I was sort of 40 at the time, I reckon I'd had enough life experience to A, have a lot of content, which is what you need to come with. And plus I was mature enough not to take it too seriously or not to be overwhelmed by it all. It was just this wonderful opportunity that had been given to me. And I didn't see it as, oh my God, you know, I'm on Breakfast Radio in Sydney. It was like the next step along to do something. And if that didn't work out, I'd work out something else where if you're younger, that can really become a big thing. It can be quite daunting being on Brecky Radio. So a bit of maturity in my age and the fact that I'd had some life beforehand, I think really helped me. Yeah, it's really interesting. I couldn't agree more with you around the relationship side of things. Running sales teams for a large part of my life, consistently it's the people that can build those relationships, keep the rapport and not let the customers down that typically do the right things and, and they are the very often the people who are who are good out having a pint or a glass of wine or <laughs> they come from a sporting background they've got stories they don't need to walk in and go oh the weather's crap which you and i did earlier yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah it's a uh, it, building rapport and having that ability to kind of adapt to the person that you're speaking to um is a gift i think and it's not it doesn't come naturally to everyone mm. you would have really been, I mean, obviously sat with um, with Mike Johns and MG, um, as well as interviewing many uh, famous sports people. Was there anybody or a group of people that you you took away some really interesting kind of habits or traits or inspiration from? Yeah, I mean, for me, a couple really stand out. Actually, one was non-sport, but an absolute entertainment god, Michael Parkinson, that you would know from from England, yeah. I just couldn't believe that Michael Parkinson would be sitting in a studio with us three absolute muppets talking about his life and his love for cricket, and he was doing like a he was doing like a sit down interview Q and A tour of Australia, and I just couldn't believe that he was in at Triple M. Like I thought he must have taken the wrong the wrong road on his way to the ABC or to Two GB or something. So, and I just I just sat there in awe at this man. Of he's interviewed thousands of the most interesting people, the most famous people on the planet. And the thing I got from him was never have more than a couple of questions in front of you. Just listen to the answers of the person that you're talking to. Because if they're talking about something, they're genuinely happy to talk about it. They'll give you the best story. So just let them go and just sort of just nudge them along the road where, you know, I'm sure you've been interviewed. I've certainly been interviewed by people that have their 10 questions and it gets to the end of the first question. They go, thank you. Question number two, you know, and there's no flow, there's no sort of flow to it. And I'm, 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 I'm really big fan of him and would love 
to, you know, be anything like him. So that was amazing. One morning, Hulk Hogan walked in. Hey, I'm the Hulk. And he walked in, he busted through the door. And I just, my my back was always to the door. MG was sitting in front of me. And MG's eyes lit up like bloody saucers. And I turned around. It was fucking Hulk Hogan. I was like, what? He was actually meant to go to Kyle and Jackie O upstairs on level 15. But the bloke, the, the greeter that greets, um, you know, guests every morning just thought it must be for the grill team being Hulk Hogan. So he brought him to us without checking his sheet. So we had him for half an hour and he was absolutely incredible. Um, and talk about a bloke who was at the top of his game and literally had that whole industry on his shoulders. He was incredible. The fact that he could sort of go back into his normal self during the ads and through the songs. And then once it came back to being on air, oh, they turned into the Hulk again, you know, and it was just really, really awesome <laughs> to see him. But what I, what I've learned so much really about. In the last year in particular, I've been doing a podcast series of my own called Not an Overnight Success, and I've, I've, I've really spoken to some, some very sort of famous people, entertaining people from all walks of life, whether it's sport, entertainment or politics, and they've all gone down a rabbit hole at some stage that hasn't quite worked out. But they've been, they've been smart enough or they've worked hard enough to get themselves back out of that and then find their path again. And um, that, I suppose, is my greatest thing to my three kids there, 22, nearly 21 and, and 19, is that just keep turning up. There's going to be people that just give up. So keep turning up, keep looking people in the eye, keep working hard, things will work out for you. That to me is so simple and I think we need to simplify these things, especially to the kids of today. Um, they've got a much different upbringing to what I had. I'm 53 now and life is very different to when I was growing up. So for me, it's simplifying everything whether it's the gotcha for life message about not worrying alone and talking about your feelings and so forth to telling my kids advice, just keep turning up, keep working hard, be resilient um, and be as, be as um, authentic as yourself as you can be because there's so many people out there now that can read a fake, they can read someone who's not fed income and, um, you know, that won't get you anywhere if you're not fed income. It's a really consistent message around the fact that turning up every time, never giving up, keep on bouncing back. Of the of the 15 or 20 shows that we've had, most people say exactly that. What When you're looking at defining resilience or uh, the people that you've taken inspiration from, it's just like, give it a crack first, keep giving it a crack, and you know what? Something might good come out of the other side of it. And if it's not something great, at least you've learned the lesson, but you've also backed yourself because taking action is the is the biggest step to, to change, right? Yeah. And it's uh, it's so many people don't take the first step and then wonder why they they kind of stood where they are. Well, yeah, I mean, Hugh Hugh Jackman was my first episode on Modern Overnight Success, and we spoke about what keeps him going. And he goes, I just remember being at the cricket, the SCG, with my dad and my brother, and people Aussies would just go, "Have a go, you mug." They'd shout it out if someone was blocking it, not having a slog or whatever. It wasn't getting entertaining. And he just sort of put that in his head right from the start, and that's exactly what he's done all his life. Like, how do you go and host the Oscars? How do you go and host the Tony Award? How do you get up and do 400 live shows on Broadway when it's you're the main man that people are spending hundreds of dollars to see? How do you do a world tour? How do you do all these Wolverine moves? How do you just do it? Well, get off your ass and have a crack. Have a go, you mug, you know, and... Everyone's got that imposter syndrome sitting on your shoulder telling you, oh, mate, any minute now, this is all over. You're an absolute imposter. Just flick him off and get on with it. And that's really what life's about. How many times 
you just get up and have a crack at life. It's it's we overcomplicate things way too much. And if you've got a village around you, you can't do this stuff by yourself. But if you've got a village around you that you can talk to, people are honest with you about how you are and what you are, not just feeding you a lot of bull, you know, that village around you and that attitude of let's get up and have a crack, that will put you in pretty good stead. Yeah, for sure. Um Talk to me about your charity, Gotcha for Life. How did you get into that, and and, and what are you looking to achieve through uh, through the charity? So, Gotcha for Life started off the back of a TV program I did called Man Up on the ABC. One morning on the Grill Team, I actually spoke about my friend who took his own life on the day that his third and final child finished their HSC. And I was in England at the time, working for him. He was at Toshiba Australia. I was at Toshiba UK. He had been this absolute mentor to me. He was my cousin's husband. Um, I'd known him pretty much all my life. He taught me how to swim. When I did my year 10 work experience, I worked with him. He was like a real father figure. I loved him. And um, when I found out that he had taken his own life, it absolutely knocked me for six. I came back from England, went to the funeral. Very difficult day. Um, Sat on it for years, as most blokes do. Um, and just sort of got pissed on the days that his anniversary, got a bit angry. And then one morning I told that story on Triple M. And it was incredible how many people phoned up to say, thanks for the story, but can I now tell you my story? It's like we had opened up an opportunity to feel safe. We'd given them permission to tell a story that perhaps they hadn't thought they were going to be able to tell. They'd been burying their emotions or this story. So we did 90 minutes of just phone calls that morning. No music, no news. No traffic updates. We just had 90 minutes of people crying, snot running out of the nose, tears running out of the eyes, just everyone feeling really vulnerable. And it just got me thinking that there's how many people are out there that have that type of stuff. I wonder how many people haven't got the emotional muscle just to let go of this emotional stuff. So I did the Man Up program and then I did started Gotcha for Life. And we've now raised just over $11 million, which we give away to program partners that work in suicide prevention. So the second part of your question, you know, what do I want Gotcha for Life to achieve? Well, I want zero suicides because one is too many. We lose seven blokes a day every day. We lose two women every day. And there's someone attempting suicide every 28 seconds. So we've got a massive problem in this country. And that was even even before the pandemic. We don't have enough people in Australia with enough emotional muscle to stick their hand up and ask for the help that they need. There's so many of us that have got a whole heap of mates, but not necessarily friends. And we need to find someone in our life that we can be totally open uh, with without any fear of judgment. And that's what I'm trying to do is to, to build emotional muscle in Australians so we don't worry alone and we ask for help when we need it. I just sent off a text message this morning to a random 50 people in my contact list just saying, um, uh, random check-in, how are you going out of 10 today? And I had some people write back 12, 11, 10, seven and a half, some people two, one, three. And they're all famous people. They're normal people. They're regular people. They're all mixed. So there's so many people out there that feel connected now because I sent such a simple text message. Do we do that enough? Do we look after what I call our village enough? That village that we need around us to be able to get through life. Do we take those relationships a bit for granted? Are we actually on the front foot with our own vulnerability to let people know that it's okay? to not have all the answers. It's okay to bumble your way through stuff and do the best you can. Um, and then, and as we've said, get back up and have another crack. It doesn't mean we burst into tears every five minutes or, or have a deep and meaningful conversation every time we talk, but it does mean that we have someone in our corner 
that we can talk to who's got you for life with no fear of judgment. And that's what got you for life is all about. And, you know, we had a mini win last year, 5.4% down the suicide rate, 170 people less than the year before, but we celebrated it for a New York minute and then we got on with it again because it's still over 3,000 people um, that are taking their life and the tragedy of those people left behind, the communities, the families, you know, it just absolutely knocks you for six. I've, I've had the most amazing time in the last few years talking to people that have tried to take their own life, but they're still with us. I've spoken to over 2,100 people and all of them have told me the same thing. They didn't want to die. They were tired and they were in pain. So if you get someone who's in pain and tired, they will want out of that life that they're in right now. It's not their actual life, but they want out of that life that they're living. So it gave me a lot of encouragement to think if we can get to people before they get too tired or before they get into too much pain, we can actually get to a situation where people, villages, families, people around you can help you get the help that you need to get you out of that funk. And that's really what it's all about. So that for me is key. Thank you. Thank you for, for kind of going out there and creating something that's so valuable to the people of Australia. It's very commendable. And what I would like to just take from that is often, I think most people intend to do well. Most people intend to help, but they're not quite sure where to start. What would you say, what would a couple of practical pieces of advice or action that people can take today in order to protect their village? Yeah, there's a, there's, a couple, there's a couple of things there. The first thing is it's okay not to know what to do because especially men, we've been told all our lives just to man up, shut up, take a teaspoon of cement, harden the fuck up, just get on with it. So that's what we've been told. So that's what we've learned. And we see that in every movie. We see that in TV commercials. We see that at the at when we watch the telly. All these heroes that have just got their shit together and are just dealing with stuff. So that's what we've been told. So we have to unlearn that stuff and then learn this new stuff which means it's going to take a little bit of time. So don't get frustrated that you don't quite know what to do. But it's also okay to stick your hand up and just bumble your way through asking for help. That is better than holding on to stuff yourself. So for me, it starts with writing down who your actual village is. Like every time I ask people to do this, and I'll do this this afternoon, and I did it twice yesterday when I'm sitting in front of groups of, of people in corporates or at schools, when was the last time you wrote down a list of the people you love and adore and you cannot imagine living without? Well, the simple fact is that no one's ever really ever done that. If you have, you're very much in the minority. So write down a list of the people that you love and adore and you cannot imagine living without. That's your first step. So that might take half an hour to write some names, scrub them out. Oh, oh I forgot them, put them in. So take a bit of time to do that. Then give yourself a mark out of 10 next to all those names for how you're performing within those relationships. Once you've done that, go to work on the relationships that are a seven or below out of 10. And believe me, I promise you, you'll have a seven out of 10 or below in your list. So that's your time to not necessarily have that face-to-face -face tears running out of your eyes type combo. Simply use this technology as an icebreaker to let them know that you're thinking of them. So just say, I just wrote a list of my village, the people that I love the most, and your name popped up. I just wanted to let you know that I was thinking of you. That's it. And then send it. We can all do a text. We all feel comfortable with technology. Send it off. You'll either get a phone call. Someone, what the fuck are you talking about, brother? What, what's this about? Or are you drunk? Are you still drunk? What's going on? You'll get all that sort of sense of humor -y stuff. It's 10 a.m. in the morning. Go to bed. 
<laughs> exactly. Your your sense of humour in the UK, same as ours over here, <laughs> will automatically go to taking the piss and having a laugh, and that's fair enough. But then you bite down and go, actually, it's true. I was thinking about you. You are someone that's important to me. I wanted you to know that I'm here for you, and, in fact, I'm going to come to you when some stuff's going on in my life as well. It just changed and shifts the relationship. And people say, well, how do you do that? Well, you learn stuff. You get mentally fit. Just like getting physically fit to go and run a 10K or a half marathon or a marathon, it takes time. It takes practice. You've got to work on stuff. And the more you do it, the more you get out of your comfort zone and have a crack and talk in this way, the more easier it becomes. And then your relationships become deeper, more solid. You don't want anyone in your village, once you've write that village list down, you don't want anyone in that village not to feel that they've can come to you and talk to you about anything. Even if it's uncomfortable, just ask for help. Don't worry alone. Um, And that's the greatest sort of takeaway that I can give to you and your listeners is we need to change the way that we do that. It's actually brave to talk about how you feel rather than walking away and trying to deal with it yourself. Well, that's got us to the seven men a day, two women a day and one every 28 seconds. So we want to keep having those stats. Let's keep doing the same thing over and over again. For me, it's lying in the sand time. We go, no, nah, we're doing things differently, and that's the end of it. Yeah. The old saying, nothing changes, nothing changes. That's it. That's it. And it's gonna. It's not easy. That's the other thing. It's, but it's okay. It's okay that it's not easy. Start the process. Write your village down. Send the text messages. Keep in contact. That text message that you send to that person telling that you're thinking of, it's not for you. It's for them. To get an unsolicited bit of love is the best thing that you can do, especially from someone who, who who's in your village that you care for. It just builds a more solid relationship. I'm sick of the Paul Greens of this world. I'm sick of my friend. I'm sick of other people taking their own lives when there's so many people that could help. And it's not up to the people around you to necessarily look around and make sure that everyone's okay. It's up to each individual to stick their hand up and ask for help if they need it. It's actually brave to do that. So do it, please. Don't worry alone. Gus, thank you for your passion and your pragmatic advice. It uh, really comes through there. And I think that that whole village, writing that down um, and then doing the score and just taking action is so important. And I haven't heard that kind of methodical approach to doing it, but I think if we can get more people to that, it becomes a habit and they do it regularly. Um, if the listeners yeah. can take that away, that would be fantastic. I'm just, sick. I'm just sick of awareness, you know. If we're not aware that we've got a problem in this country with mental fitness, mental health, then you've been living under a rock. So if you look at the problem, it's huge. It's too big to deal with. So bring it down to the smallest pack that you can work on, which is your work village and your heart village. So the people you love and adore, your, your, your partner, your children, your aunties, uncles, family, friends and mates, and then find your work village as well and look after both those villages. It's going to take a bit of time and effort, but it's worth it because you don't want any of those people that you love at work or at home to be um, worrying alone. So time to step up as a human being, realise that we've got ups and downs, realise that this social media is a bullshit way of looking at life and that's not real. So let's get real and be human and be proud to be human, which means ups and downs, troughs and highs. That's just the way it is and there's no other way around it. We're throwing away perfect. Gus, I'm going to wrap up with the question that I ask all our guests at the end. How does Gus Worland define resilience? Being vulnerable. If you are vulnerable, then you are human. And that way I reckon you'll have you have people around you that can help you. You can't do resilience necessarily by yourself. 
but you need to obviously have a little bit of hard work in you and all that sort of stuff we've already spoken about, but don't necessarily think that that's, that's a solo game. It's not. It's building a village around you that can give you the resilience. They give it to you, then you give it to them, depending on what's happening in your village's life. So that's what's so great about being a human, right? Doing doing um, life with other people so much better than doing it by yourself. Resilience is a team sport. I like that. Bloody oath it is. It is. Gus, thanks for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure to get to know you more. Congratulations on a, a very good career uh, throughout the media industry um, and throughout the technology industry as well. I didn't realise that beforehand. And uh, yeah, I wish you all the best for Gotcha for Life. Where can the listeners uh, find out more about yourself and the charity? Yeah, so gotchaforlife.org. Um, so it's G-O-T-C-H-A, the number four, life. Dot org. That's our website. That's got everything. If anyone wants to help and support us in any way, there all the information and all the workshops that we put on, um, what we can do in corporations by coming in and, and, and talking to people and building mental fitness within your organisation. That's, that's what we do. And uh, it's all about zero suicides. Thanks for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe or follow wherever you listen so you don't miss future episodes. Thanks to our guest today, Gus Wallen. I appreciate your time. Thanks to our sponsor, Securo. If you'd like to know more about me or Securo, you can head to securo.io. Securo, trust tomorrow. This podcast was made by Afternoon Sport Group. Thanks for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, why not check out one of our other podcasts? Like Strive Stronger with Andrew May. Listen in as Andrew May explores the latest and greatest in human performance. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts or head to afternoonsport.com. Afternoon Sport.